morning. It's good to share with you this morning. And we're going to the book of Jude, which as Ant mentioned, we, we're in a series at the moment contending the faith, looking at the book of Jude. And, and Jude is writing to believers to encourage them to be discerning about people that have come into their midst that are bringing false teaching and disruption in amongst them. And it's, it's an incredibly important message that he brings. If you think about it, when Jesus left the earth, he left behind witnesses. He left behind his apostles and people who had seen what he had done. And he said to them, go out and be my witnesses. And they had the task of making sure that we got the right message 2,000 years later. And initially, the, the teaching was by the teaching by word of mouth of the apostles. Uh, and then people began to write things down. Luke writes the, 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 the gospel of Luke and he says to his friend Theophilus, I'm writing this down because I want people to be able to be firm and understand what, they, what they're believing. And then he goes on to write the book of Acts, and he says the same thing. Seems a good idea to carry on and continue the story. And then we have lots of, of, of epistles written by Paul and other people saying to people, this is the right way to go, and giving people something to stand on, giving us something firm to stand on. But from early times, there were challenges to the truth of the, of the message, and, and the faith was sometimes corrupted by people for various reasons. And, and Jude writes at this time because people have come into their community that are bringing some things that are unhelpful. And so last week, Anne spoke, amongst other things, about the consequences of, of bringing this wrong teaching and, and, and not being in the place where you should be. And this week, I'm looking at chapter, well, there's just the one chapter in Jude, but I'm, lo I'm looking at verses 8 and 10, although I'll just, and with your permission, just step into verse 11 for a, a brief moment without wanting to take away your sermon for next week. Um, and let me read to you. It says, in the very same way, this is Jude talking about these false teachers, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject the authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for, uh, for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, uh, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. There's a whole bunch of stuff in these two or three verses that we're looking at this morning. And I want to, to look at separate issues, and I want to start off with the concern that Jude has for these people that he calls dreamers. And he refers to them as being dreamers who are being irresponsible. Now, I need to go on record at the outset. God does use dreams. God does speak to people through dreams. That's a reality. But there is a caution extended here as to how we go about taking that on board. There are examples of him speaking to people through dreams in the Old Testament, and there are examples of him speaking to people through dreams in the New Testament in... Um, Let's just see, in uh, Matthew 1 verse 20, Joseph's reassured about taking Mary as his wife by a dream in which the angel of the Lord speaks to him and says, it's okay, Mary, the story she's brought you about why she's pregnant is true. And just in the next chapter, the Magi, who have been told by um, Herod to go and just find out where Jesus is and then come and tell him, are warned in a dream not to do that and go by a different way. So God definitely does use dreams, but there is a danger in how we go about using these dreams that people have and that we think we're having, and Jude warns about being led astray. And he warns that they, these guys are led astray in three ways in the way that they look at their dreams. He says, in their dreams they are receiving what they believe and say are revelations, but these are leading them into an, in, to indulge in sexual sins. They pollute their bodies in their dreams. They find justification for them giving into their own desires and lust. I'm coming back to that. Secondly, in their dreams, or because of their dreams, it says they reject authority 
and they become their own boss without the covering and protection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, he says in their dreams, they become derogatory about heavenly beings and speak abusively about them and become confused as to their own authority. Now, all of us desire to hear clearly from God, and God speaks to us in many different ways. God does speak through dreams. God speaks through prophetic word, both of which are important in our Christian life and bring enrichment and bring guidance. But God often speaks most clearly and most frequently, or He does speak most frequently, through His Word and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, if we're looking at dreams that come to us and dreams that people bring to us, we need to be careful to look at three things, I believe, that are really important, possibly even some more. But a dream that leads us into sin does not come from God. If you are given a dream and you wake up in the morning and you're wanting to decide, is this a dream from God? Because let's face it, not all dreams come from God. Some dreams come from too much pizza at midnight. Um, some dreams come from indigestion. Um, some dreams come from tension and fear and stress that we have. And so when we wake up in the morning and we have a dream that we feel has a spiritual content or intent, we need to look carefully at certain criteria to see if it's safe to take this on board into our lives. And the first is, a dream that leads us into sin does not come from God. God's character is not split. And I think that's really, really important that God doesn't change, God hasn't changed, God has never changed. And so, if God has said in His Word that something is wrong, then that thing is wrong. And if I have a very intense and very beautiful dream which says to me that that thing is right and that will release me into something that I desperately want to do, I need to say that actually... I can't take that on board because it's contradicting the Word of God and it's leading me into something that does not come from God. And it's very tempting sometimes to cherry-pick those things that we like to influence us. You know, sometimes you want to make a decision and you start asking people about it. You're thinking about a new motor car that you want to buy and you go and ask your friends and they have different opinions, but you've already actually made up your mind what you want and so you begin to listen to those people who agree with you. And you start looking for people who will strengthen that particular perception that you have. And we have to be careful when spiritual prophetic dreams are in play and we're thinking about them that we're not just looking for people who will affirm what we want to do. And we're not looking at something that's in contradiction to God's Word. It should be in harmony with the Bible. Not just specifically said in the Bible, but in harmony with the Bible. If we read the Bible, we begin to get a feel of, of the content and the ethos that God is spreading through His Word. And by the same token, we should be in harmony with the Godliness and the character of God Himself. I've been married to my wife for a bit more than 40 years now. I know her really, really well. If you were to come to me and say, Sandra said this or that or this or that or certain things, I would have a very good idea whether it was possible that she said that or not because I know what she believes in, I know her character, I know what's important to her. <clears throat> Excuse me. When we study God's, can, can I encourage you, when you study God's Word, study it to find out about the person that the Word is talking about. I say to people, when you go to a restaurant, you get given a menu. And we love the menu because it tells us what's coming. We were having a meal together uh, on Friday, and the menu came, and I'm so really courageous. I always go for something new like fish and chips. Um, actually, I do try new things, but I do love fish and chips. But when you go to a restaurant and you get a great menu, you don't go, this is a great menu, and then eat the menu, the cardboard. That's telling you about what you can have. It's giving you an idea about 
what that restaurant is all about. When I read the Bible, be careful about just absorbing and eating facts. The Bible is revealing the character and the nature of God. It's revealing who this person is in the way that he says things, in the way that he treats people, in the way that he responds to situations. God is revealing his character and his nature. And the more you study the Bible, the better you should know God. It shouldn't be the more you study the Bible, you better know, the better you know the Bible. The more you study the Bible, you better you know, the better you know the person that the Bible is all about because that's why we have the It's a living word to reveal to us the nature, the character, the purpose, and the plan of God through what he does with people. And if your dream that you have or the dream that someone in great earnestness and with really good intentions brings to you and says, I had a dream and I believe God is saying this, if that dream clashes with what God is, And with the nature and character of God, be very, very, very cautious. It's something which we have to regulate against God's word. And the third thing that is suggested that we should do in looking at dreams is that we should, a dream should not lead us into something highly unnatural or unusual for us. Someone comes to you very earnestly in the Sunday morning service and says, I I believe God's been speaking to me through dreams and I saw this dream and you were standing at the altar with Humphrey. And you absolutely detest Humphrey. You don't like him, you don't know him well, but you begin to feel under pressure that you should be seeking a relationship with him because this is the person that God has called you. Be very careful about doing something which doesn't line up with what God's been doing in your life and is different and radically different. I'm not saying always discard something that's different. But in the same way that when we work with prophetic words, I always say to people, when you get a prophetic word, put it on the mantelpiece and wait. And let God's word line up. You know, when I was a child, I lived in a town that had a, 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 a well, it was a, near a fishing village. And there was a, a, a jetty that went out. And around it, there was a natural reef of rocks that made it a safe place to harbor But there was a a gully that came through those rocks at an angle that people would sail through to come into it. And what they did to make sure that people could do this safely is they had some beacons on the land that you had to line up. If you were out at sea and you sailed until the beacons lined up, you knew you were lined up with the path that you could go through those rocks. And they had lights on them so even at night you could line them up. When you think someone is is bringing you a prophetic word or a word of, of a dream, Take that and line it up with what God's word says, line it up with what God is saying to you, line it up with what you've been hearing in in your sermons recently, and make sure that you're not just going off on the ground of one thing and making a great big change, because Judah's talking about these people coming into the church and wanting to bring radical change on the basis of their dreams. They are challenging the perceived faith that people have at that time. They are challenging the perceived truth that people have at that time and saying, no, what you're being taught is wrong, and in doing so, they are doing things that says that they are defiling and polluting their own body. So it's very likely that the sins that they are committing are related to sexual sins and, and very lustful and, and selfish sins that they're committing, and they're saying that they're okay to do that on the basis of dreams that they have had. So they are becoming the authority that's giving them permission to do something that's not right. You know, very recently, and, and we hear about this all too often, another wonderful teacher of God's Word after his death it came to light that, that he'd been in sin in, in a sexual way. And one of the people that testified about that said that he, he spoke to her when he was wanting her to put up with improper behavior and engage in improper behavior with him. As a Christian person, he made her feel like he was under great pressure and great stress in his very important ministry. And by doing these things, she was helping him to deal with that. And he justified it according to 
things that he felt were right, and he led himself and her into sin that has proved so damaging in coming out after his, after his death. We need to be very cautious about how we approach these dreams. But there's another aspect of dreams that I want to look at. Just to, to put it in a biblical context, in Jeremiah 23, verses 28 and 29, it says this, Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream. But let the one who has my word speak it faithfully, for what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire and like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces. You know, when you put fire in your grain, it burns up the chaff. When you hit a, a rock with hammer, it breaks off the weaker pieces. And God's word is what will expose the truth or not of what a prophet brings and what a dreamer brings. And both, please understand, the prophetic ministry is a fantastic and important ministry that brings encouragement and teaching and, and, and knowledge to people. But when it's used or abused and manipulated in this way, it's something that we need to be very, very cautious about and apply those checks. It should not lead us into sin. It should be in harmony with the Bible and with the character and nature of God and should not lead us into something that's highly unnatural or unusual by itself. There's another aspect of dreams, though, that I want to pick on before I, before I move on to the next section, and that's the, another term or another way that we speak of dreams is, is we use it in the terms of aspirations. Martin Luther made a very... A famous speech, and he said, I have a dream. And what he was saying was, I very much hope that this is going to happen in the future. In my dream, if people do the right thing, this is what will happen in the future. It was an aspiration. He could have said, I have a dream, or he could have said, I have an aspiration. And sometimes people dream what they desire and then justify what they do by their dreams. They claim God's approval of their own desires, and it allows them to indulge themselves. And I think in this case that Jude is talking about, people are trying to make the gospel what they want it to be to suit them, and that's what they're preaching to people. They're false teachers who wish to make a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to suit their aspirations and how they wanted things to be. And this has always been something that has been a challenge in God's relationship with man. It's really, really sad, but it's really true that God created mankind and he created this wonderful world for us and he said this is yours and I'm giving you a free will to operate in this but this is how it should work and the very first thing that Satan does in the book of Genesis is he doesn't come to, to Adam and Eve and jump out of the undergrowth as a little red imp with horns and a pointed tail and a pitchfork and say follow me to hell let's rebel against God he doesn't do that he comes to Adam and Eve and he just says to them did God really say that you shouldn't touch or eat of this fruit? Do you think he really meant it? And all he tries to do is to get them go slightly off what God is aiming for. You know, if a plane takes off at Heathrow Airport and it flies two degrees off its course to, to New York City, it's not even going to see the city when it gets there. You just have to bend it slightly off its route and it's going to miss the target. And Satan has used the method of getting people to bring their own preferences into their guidance over and over again. Um, if, if I step into, into verse 11, and it talks about Cain in verse 11 of, of, of Jude. And if you remember the story of Cain and Abel, they brought sacrifices to God, and Abel brought animal sacrifice, which is what God had asked for, and Cain brought the fruit of, the, of, of his work. He was into vegetables and salads. He was, he was a, a, a veggie guy. And he brought that to God. And God said, no, that's not what I asked you for. And on the basis of that, Cain rebels and kills his brother. 
because he can't understand why God won't accept what he wants to bring to God. His aspiration was to be a tiller of the soil and, and, and to grow plants. And so I brought this to God with good intentions. It's good quality vegetable, and yet he's turning it down. He has no right to turn that down. And subtly people bring into the church their aspirations. This is what I want Christianity to be. This is how I want it to be in my life. This is how I want to enjoy it and draw these benefits from it. But this is what I want to be allowed to do. And where it doesn't line up, they begin to teach their way around it. They begin to try and reason their way around it. And they begin to measure against their natural instincts. He talks about natural instincts here. This is what I think the Bible should say. I think I've mentioned before, I was in a Bible study many years ago, and we got to the passage uh, where it's dealing with families and wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. And the guy that was leading the Bible study, it was the last time I went to it, he just said, well, I don't agree with this part. We're going to skip it. Isn't that great? If you could read the Bible that way. What a life. I'll just take all the parts I like and I'll just delete all the parts I don't like because they don't line up with my dreams, with my aspirations. And I believe that Part of what Judah's warning against with these guys is they've come into church and they have an agenda. They want to bring what they believe is right. They want to bring a teaching in that allows them to operate in a position of authority and do what they want to do. And so they say, this is what God wants. And I want to say to you, we need to be careful on many levels. We need to be careful. This is something that can damage the church from within. When people begin to discount the truth of God's word from within the church, our credibility with the world out there just goes to pot. Now, God says this is wrong. Well, actually, God didn't mean that. Actually, he can't mean that because it doesn't line up with our current social perceptions. It doesn't line up with what society says. It doesn't line up with what I prefer. It doesn't seem to be what I want to do. So it can't be that God says that. So let's say that God didn't mean that part there, and suddenly all of us that stand on God's word have our feet clipped out underneath us by somebody saying, oh, God doesn't mean what he says. We've got to be careful not to replace God's will with our aspirations. We've got to be careful that we don't allow that to happen in our church, but I want to say this, you don't let that happen in your life. I listen to God when he does what I want. Don't let that happen in your life. I just cruise past the things I don't like. I choose not to look at them. I choose not to dabble in them. I'll just look at the parts that I like and do the things that I like, and I will have my own custom-made 21st century Christianity, and everybody can have their own. You can make up your own. You can bring your dreams and your aspirations, and you can be your own authority, and you can design your Christianity that suits you, and if you're just bending God's Word two degrees away from where it should be, you're going to miss New York by how many miles, and you're going to miss heaven by an eternity. We need to be really cautious about manipulating the Word of God. Moving on to the, the next section uh, in verses 8 to 10, uh, I said to Ant when I, when I got these scriptures, I said, thanks very much, because I, I got the Lord rebuke you. <laughs> this is one of the parts that people don't want to preach about, because it's a difficult piece of the Bible. Let's read what it says. It says, even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. Now, let me tell you what is thought to be behind this. The story that's thought to be behind this is that in Deuteronomy 
Chapter 34 and verse 5, it says, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said, and he buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite the Bethpeel. It's believed that God buried Moses. And that at some time, if you look at this, Michael was sent to retrieve his body. Moses is unique in that he appeared at the... the um, I want to say the transformation. When he appears, Moses and Elijah appear together uh, speaking to Jesus when the disciples of their transfiguration was the word that I was looking for. He's unique because Elijah never died. And so he's there speaking to to Jesus. But Moses is there there as well. And so it is extrapolated and assumed that at some point the archangel Michael, a very powerful angel, was sent to recover the body of Moses to prepare it so he could function in that role. And that in doing that, he was set upon and contended by the devil, and in their battle that they had over the body of Moses, that he turned to, to the, the devil and said to him, the Lord rebuke you. The problem with that is, it's not in the Bible. It's not anywhere in the Bible. Judah's referring to something that is not recorded in the Bible. It is found, apparently what could be found in a book called The Assumption of Moses, which was an apocryphic book, but he's speaking about it as something which these people would understand and they would have. So I would say to you, if it's not in the Word of God, I can't say to you that's exactly what happened, but I can say to you that he's using it in the same way we might use an example of the hare and the tortoise. He's using something that's familiar with these people, which he believes is a sound way to explain them. And the point he's trying to make, I believe, and I think you can probably get more out of it than I do, but is this, it's about the misuse of delegated authority. What do I mean by that? Well, like all South African men of my age, we were of a generation that had conscription and national service, so I've spent some time in the military. And one of the first things that you learn when you go into the military, if you want to survive, is that there are different ranks, and different ranks have different authority. You don't mess around with someone with a higher rank than you, because military law is absolute, and they have authority over you like God's. And you learn that a sergeant can give an order to a corporal, and that a sergeant major can give an order to a sergeant, and that a lieutenant can give an order to anybody who's a non-commissioned officer, and that majors can give orders to captains, and lieutenant colonels can give orders to majors, and you can work your way up to the ranks. But you also learn that that authority can be delegated. A captain can call a lance corporal with one stripe on his shoulder, who's the lowest of the ranked officers, to him and say, go and see that lieutenant and tell him I say he needs to do this and that. And so the little lance corporal goes off in the name of the lieutenant, or of the captain, to go and give a direct order to a person who's many ranks above him. And he says, the captain said, you need to move the unit over there and, 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 and establish this particular uh, action in that particular place. And he has all the authority invested in the captain when he goes in the delegated authority. We have a delegated authority to do things in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, go in my name, and these signs will follow those. They will heal the sick, they will cast out demons, they they will drink poison and will not harm them. They will do signs and wonders. There's a tremendous authority. When, When I do something in the name of Jesus, I'm doing it with all the authority of Jesus behind me to accomplish that thing. And even the devil has to listen. But that authority is only active when I'm doing what I've been sent to do by the person who gave me that, that little lance corporal who's been called by the captain and sent off to the lieutenant can't toddle off to the, to the canteen and say to the guy behind there, uh, the captain says you need to give me three sandwiches and a, and a bottle of Coke. And then go after somebody else and say, um, I need this or that. I'm coming in. The... 
He has that authority when he's doing what he's been sent to do. And we have authority when we are sent in the name of Jesus to do whatever. He says, if we say to that mountain, be cast into the sea, if that's what God wants us to do and that mountain needs to go, if we command it in the name of Jesus, it will go. But it doesn't say we can fire off the name of Jesus. Just I can't walk into a bank and stand at the tell and say, in the name of Jesus, give me all your money. That's not delegated authority. That's called robbery. And you're not allowed to do it, even in the name of Jesus. And for me, I believe what is being said here about Michael is that when he was confronted by Satan, he didn't even, with his authority as the best of the good angels, feel it was his place to rebuke and slander the worst of the bad angels in his own strength. He said, the Lord rebuke you. He hadn't been sent to go and tell off the devil. He'd been sent to recover the body of Moses. And he said to him, the Lord rebuke you. It was a sign of someone saying, I have an authority which is incredibly powerful, but I will use it only in what I've been called to do and to use it for. You know, one of the scriptures that I battle with, with people a lot, there's a scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know that? It's one of the most misused scriptures in the Bible. Because people say, I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. Well, guys, I can line up next to Usain Bolt now, and I can pray. And I can pray, and I can call upon the name of Jesus. But if God doesn't need me to beat him over 100 meters, I'm going to still be coming out the blocks when he finishes. Because it doesn't mean I can just do what I like. It means I can do anything that God needs or wants me to do, that he's put in my path, that I'm called to do by him. I can do that through Christ who strengthens me. It's not a blank check. God doesn't send us out with the name of Jesus and say, you know, there's that advert at the moment of the lady walking through the supermarket with her card, and she's going sort of pow and things fly off the shelves. I don't have the name of Jesus to walk through the world saying, in the name of Jesus, I'll have that and I'll have that and I'll claim that and I'll have that. I'm here to do his will. And as I do his will, I use his name and his authority. And if I'm using his name and his authority and his will, he does what he wants in that situation. But I believe these guys were coming in and using authority and saying, we can rebuke angels. We're not sure who these people were. Some people think that they were a combination of Sadducees who didn't believe in angels and the supernatural and Gnostics who believed that things had to line up with their natural and physical understanding of things. But they were people who were taking the spiritual and being slanderous about it and thinking that they had the authority or claiming that they had the authority to do it. If I take all of this and I put it together, what have I got? I've got a group of people who are using whatever means they can to try and bring their will, their aspirations, their dreams, their authority into the church and usurp it for their own purposes. And Judah's saying, don't let them do it. It's been tried since Cain came to the Lord and said, yeah, you have to take my vegetables. It's logical that you should take them. I see no good reason why you shouldn't take them. And it continued at this time and it continues today with people who want to, not in theological apologetics, but just want to apologize for, for, for God. He doesn't really mean this. We don't have to do this. This, is, this doesn't fit into our modern society, so we'll just write this off. And we're told to stand by the Word of God. We're told to stand on the Word of God and the truth of God. I want to challenge you. Get to know this person so that you will know his voice. Jesus talks about being a shepherd, and he says, My sheep know my voice. Middle Eastern shepherds walked in front. The animals came behind. They would call them. They would sometimes at night put them into their pens together, and you'd have different flocks together. And the shepherds would come in the morning, and they would call their sheep, and they would come out to them because they knew the voice of the shepherd, and they knew they were safe with the shepherd. 
I so want to encourage you to read God's Word. I so want to encourage you to study God's Word. I so want to encourage you to spend time in prayer with the Lord to get to know Him so that you recognize His voice and you recognize His Word and you recognize His character. Ant mentioned last, last week about the guys that, that work with um, currency and, and, and can... You know, one of the things that I was told about that is when they train these guys to recognize forgeries, they never, ever, ever train them on forgeries. They train them on the real thing. So that when they pick up a forgery, a forged banknote, they know there's something wrong with it before they know what's wrong. They know it's wrong because it doesn't feel and relate to them like the real thing. Get to know the real thing. Get to know the real him. Get to know the real person. Seek him out in the word. Seek him out in your prayer time. Become familiar with his voice. And then when someone comes along and says, I had a dream and it was, and you go, hang on a moment, that just something, something doesn't fit. That's not the voice of my shepherd. That's not, and guys, we need to do this because sometimes where they want to take us is attractive. <laughs> sometimes where they want to take us is easier. Sometimes the gospel they want us to accept is full of compromise and cheapened, and it's one that we can just stomach without actually giving our lives fully to Christ. So I want to pray for you, and I want to pray that God will reveal himself to you more and more, whether it's by prophetic words or by dreams or visions or his word, whatever it might be, but that you will get to know the reality of that person and that no one will be able to lead you astray. Let's pray. Father, we ask for that. We ask that you'll make yourself known to us so intimately and so fully that we will know when someone is trying to imitate you or someone is twisting your word and that that fire will burn the chaff away, the hammer will break away the dross on the side of the rock and that we will see the truth of your word standing out and that we will respond to your voice. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.